Hi, Tribe. I'm Versavia. And I'm Evelyn. And you're listening to Objectively Typed, a podcast where we explore the objective personality system. Today, we'll continue talking about definitions, but instead of talking about the coins, we're going to discuss some of the other words that come up within the system, such as peacocking, tidal waves, alpha, jumpers. What exactly do those things mean? How we understand them? And we'll just have a fun conversation about that. So kind of to kick things off, I was thinking that we would start with revisiting saviors and demons, because that's kind of at the heart of OPS and also probably the most challenging one to understand and something I'm still very much working on. Yeah, I think the saviors and demons is a continuing learning for everybody, really. It's like a evolving understanding. And a lot of these other other terms that come up in OP really come from the savior and demon concept. They kind of flow from that. So I think it's good to start with another revisiting of saviors and demons. You can It's like one of these things you can never look at enough because you'll continue to evolve your understanding. So yeah, I agree. Let's start there. Yeah. So do you want to kick us off? Like, what's your current understanding of a savior or demon? Sure, sure. I'll start with the current checklist as it stands here at, at the moment. And that's the other thing. I mean, even the official checklist changes and evolves over time. So I'll, I'll read what it currently says and then talk about what where, where I am with that. So a savior. So saviors. I'm responsible. So I spend my time on this. So it's a feeling of responsibility for a given function. I can work through my struggles here. So there's a confidence around that. So save yourself. You you feel comfortable working through your struggles related to yourself. Because that's, that's the other aspect is we all struggle with similar things. and But if that thing is a savior or a demon for you, you'll react differently. And in a savior state, you have confidence. Like, yeah, I can handle this. I can, I'm comfortable with that. And then also, it's something that comes easy to you. It's obvious. So it's like, let me just do that for you. You can thank me later. So for, you know, for me personally, I have savior consume. And so I don't look to others to consume for me, if you will. I will take care of that. I will review the material. I will try to learn as much as I can before I then go for help. It's just something I feel responsible for. It's something I feel some confidence around. I feel like, yeah, I can I can go find more information. I don't I don't need information fed to me. And then it's also something I feel like, oh, I should just go ahead and do that. You can other people don't need to consume. Do my consuming for me, right? It's a savior. So that's saviors. Yeah. So demons is kind of, again, just walking through Dave and Shannon's, I guess, official, but very much work in progress definitions. It's like, if a savior is something we're responsible for, a demon is something that I'm not responsible for, someone else's. There's also some like fear and pain because it's not my responsibility. I'm leaving a void there. So it's like, why does this thing keep happening to me? So those are kind of like the tidal waves. And then there's also an element of I secretly want to be good at this, but because I struggle to work through it, work through the contradictions and the complexities of whatever that thing is, that function, struggling to work through the complexities is part of what makes it a demon. But then there is the sentiment of like, I know I'm not good at it, but I want to be good at it. So I'm going to pretend that I am good at it or maybe not pretending. Well, we'll get to that when we discuss peacocking. Yeah, so one thing that when we first talked about saviors and demons in, I think, the first episode, since then I had this realization uh, kind of that added a little more depth to my understanding of it. So they talk about how with saviors, it's something that we have confidence with. 
And I, um, something you and I have talked about before, 2014 was a rough year for me and there was a lot that I went through and I had emotionally shut down for quite a while. And so I interpreted that as demon feeling, right? Because I was struggling so much through dealing with my own feelings and emotions and values and who am I, especially that FI, that self part. And so because I was seeing that struggle, I attributed that to mean that it's my demon. Right. And the thing that I've realized is that what makes it a savior rather than a demon is the willingness to work through that struggle and not export it to somebody else, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's it's actually interesting. One of the just strange things about the two of us is that 2014 was also a really challenging year for me as well, you might remember. And in my case, I had uh, the birth of my daughter and the loss of my brother had been in 2014. So I also had a really tough year. And and I went through a very similar, a very similar experience to what you're describing. So I can completely understand why you would think that that save that that was demon feeling because I thought that about me too. But the one thing I I do wonder is was that something that you had before 2014, and then 2014 made it worse, or was it was your FI a savior prior to this life change, and then you lost it and kind of had to re find it. This is one of the things that Dave and Shannon mentioned in their videotyping of me is that so someone who is tribe above self, their self is like it's through all of these little daily constant things. It's kind of getting wiped out in various ways. Somebody who is self above tribe, that's not necessarily the case, right? Because their their self is their savior. And but when something in life does happen to wipe out that self, it's a very almost traumatic experience of like losing yourself because it is this thing that you function in a way where you should be able to rely on it and it failed you. And this I think leads well into one of the things that I thought we should talk about is like a demon swing. I very much went into a demon swing post 2014. It's like overcompensating for, okay, here are my saviors and my saviors in some way failed me. Or there's this thing that my demons because they're my demons, I didn't see. So I'm going to overcompensate and now just go all into my demons. But it becomes unhealthy because, well, I mean, going too much into any side is not good. It's all about balance, right? Yeah. And so you bring, so that's why I asked the question the way that I did is that it was, to me, it's like your saviors, which you've been able to rely upon for your entire life, now suddenly you can't. And it's it's like earth shattering is what I've seen for people who, who go through something like that. Whereas for me being tribe above self, I think while it's very, it's a very interesting thing because it, I had a lot of the same experiences that you had, but for me, it was almost just like a worse situation of something that I had before. You know, so before I I did have tribe above self and I did kind of have demon feelings. I had that before 2014 and then 2014 happened and it's like it just magnified those problems even even more to the point where it was like, I really need to do something about this in my life. Like that's kind of what it did for me is that I had had these recurring kind of issues because I can go back in my journals from, you know, 2012, 2013 before I had these really significant losses And I still was struggling with these things, you know, so it wasn't, it didn't change 
it was just then 2014 happened and it was even worse and, and a very similar experience to what you describe of like kind of shutting off feelings and things like that but to a extreme point whereas on your end it was like your saviors is what what failed you so it, it's it, the same kind of things happened but because of our differences in saviors and demons they hit our lives a little bit differently yeah and I think this is why like a fantastic example of how everybody does everything and you can't rely on just behavior it's the patterns of behavior and the underlying motivations even though that's a lot harder to get at that's the hard thing yes it's not just the behavior because behavior wise you and I reacted probably similarly right but why we reacted that way was for very different reasons right for me it's because my saviors failed me and I felt like I couldn't rely on them and for you it was because your demons were amplified and you realized there's like you have to give that some attention yeah it gave me kind of a wake-up call of I've I've let this I've let this go on for a long time and now the rubber was meeting the road in a very real way. You know, prior to that, it was just, oh, I, you know, I don't feel good enough. I don't feel good enough. But I had nothing, nothing was really happening in my life. You know, I had a good life, <laughs> you know, and then I had real things like real life crises hit and it was like, okay, Evelyn, now's the time that you really need to go into that demon FI and start to strengthen that. You can't keep you can't keep letting that demon continue, basically. That's been the wake up call for me in the last four years or so. So a lot of my work that I do is to is is about that FI, that demon swing and everything else. Yeah. How is that? So how did you I guess react to it? Like how how did you end up pivoting towards the FI? What like actionable sensory things did you do? <laughs> If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, so a little bit into my history a little bit is that so 2014 was tough and then 2016 happened and it was also really, really hard because so my brother and my mom passed away within 18 months of one another and I was close to both of them. So these weren't like family members that I didn't know or didn't. Yeah, These were like close, close um, family members. And both of them were really sudden. That was the other thing. Like neither of them had like a long prolonged illness or anything. So in 2016, after losing my mom, that was when I think it was really like, it, it was like a huge wake up call that I really needed to get in touch with my own feelings and like who I was. And I did a lot of, of kind of soul searching. Like I, I call 2016 my wandering in the desert year. So I did a lot of like different healing modalities. I did therapy, you know, kind of traditional Western therapy. But I also did like acupuncture and I got into like shamanic healing. I went full like NF hippie time <laughs> for a year. Like I went to drum circles and like so I did a lot of things to try to take time for myself and be with myself and my own feelings and however like and so I had to do this I had to like figure out how to do that and maybe it's my savior tribe but it's like I couldn't just I couldn't just lay in my bed and feel I had to like go to a shamanic healing circle where we were all drumming and barefoot you know to try to like get to my inner feelings and let those feelings express and let those feelings be felt I spent a lot of time in 2016 really intentionally getting in touch with my introverted feelings, like not letting other people dictate what I was going to go do or how to feel. It was just like, and, and I did it in 
I tried to find the right tribe. So it still was a little bit of save your tribe going on, you know, but it was let me find a place that's going to give me the space to just feel whatever I got to feel and let it out and, and be ugly and do what I got to do, you know, to feel that stuff. I think this is a great example of savior versus demon feeling because the problem that I had, so what was for you 2016 has been 2018 for me. One of the reasons how I discovered OPS and then I think at a later point, maybe we'll talk about mindful self-compassion as well, which has been really useful for me. But for me, the process has not been in creating a space for me to feel the feels. For me, the process has been creating a space or, or seeking out resources, again, kind of like exporting our demons, where I can understand the NT of why I feel what I feel, understand the NI of it, understand the mm, TE yeah. of it. Yeah. So that's what like my healing has been, whereas your healing has been creating a space for you to feel that FI. Yeah. No, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, I went into sort of NF mode of just hippie. How can I? And did we talked about this, right? NF hippie. I'm, I I think we did in one of the previous previous definition episodes. I think we did. So there are nicknames, uh, dear listener, for the the letters in combination and NF intuition and feeling is often called hippie talk because it's valuing something in the abstract, right? And so. My a lot of my you're right a lot of my healing was yeah going into that NF mode and it sounds like yours was the NT nerdy as they call it understanding the reasons in the abstract world yeah NTST because I was turning towards some things that are science evidence based but then also OPS which is working on that but is not yet at the science game <laughs> right and for and for me NF and SF so you know the homework that Dave and Shannon gave me uh, when they gave me my type was to spend time on SF sleep, which was going over the known information and how I feel about it. So it was literally just spending 21 days. This was my homework was spend 21 days every night journaling what happened in my life, what, you know, sensory going over the sensory and how I felt about it, because that is what I don't give myself the space to do. There's my my sleep last is I will I, you know, I'm the classic sort of thinkers, you need a good reason for them feelings, you know, where I won't just feel things. I, I won't just feel things. I'll just, if I, that, I don't have a reason for that, you know, let's just walk on. And so like, I had to really intentionally like, okay, this happened to me today. And I felt this way, very SF valuing and feeling the sensory so, yeah, it helped me understand SF, too, a little bit better because they call that one popularity, but it's not necessarily popularity. It's really valuing the sensory. It's really putting some value on the actual sensory experience. Yeah, and not, not just experience, but also things, valuing things in the real world. So for me, NT is important, but like, let's bring it back down into the real world is what I often end up doing. I don't know if popularity describes me accurately, but SF. <laughs> well, I was just saying, I, I agree with that totally. Yeah, because <clears throat> popularity, I don't think fits the the SF types that they've that they've typed. Popularity doesn't necessarily fit those people, including including you to a certain extent. I think that like, and this has been an adjustment for myself, and I actually, just as I'm saying this and realizing this a little better, it's not necessarily that someone who has SF saviors is popularity. I think it's the other way around, that when you're trying to type someone and you notice popularity talk, 
that's usually an indicator of SF saviors. Like, so in the Venn diagram of it, like one is within the other. Yeah. So it's an indicator. Yeah. That's a, that's a really yeah. good point. And same with nerdy, right? Nerdy's that yeah. way too. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you like see somebody robotic ST, here's like uh, 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 all the things, then that's probably an, an indicator of ST, but not all STs speak robotically. Right. It's like a tip of the iceberg kind of thing. Yeah. There's more there. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about demon swing in relation to saviors and demons. There's a lot of other ways that our demons and saviors kind of interact. So two other things that come up often. Let's talk about kind of tidal waves and voids. So do you want to take this? I, I understand them in theory. So the theory behind the tidal waves is that because you're so reliant on your saviors you leave essentially a void for your demons and eventually that void comes and tidal wave catches up with you so the one that i find the easiest to understand is the ip tidal wave so the ip has lead introverted decider whether it's ti or fi so they have self above tribe and the self is their top savior and they're so focused on what they're doing whether it's you know ti their own reasons for a thing or fi their own values for a thing that they lose track of the tribe and whether or not what they're doing is actually what the tribe wants or useful for the tribe or valuable to the tribe and eventually they look up and they've left a void and the tribe comes and says well where have you been you know sometimes angrily like you're not helping us or you're you're against us and so for me i understand that tidal wave very well but i struggle with some of the other tidal waves that they talk about like especially the, my own type i struggle with the ep tidal wave because i just haven't i haven't seen it much but go on what what do you have on tidal waves maybe you can help me so ep tidal waves that's an interesting one i so I think the way that they described it was, okay, so one of the um, ideas behind saviors and demons, I don't know if we've mentioned this, is that we're addicted to our saviors. Right. Right. So in some ways, with any addiction, you create an opportunity to engage in whatever that behavior or that substance or whatever it may be, right? So like to take it into sensory land, right? An alcoholic can't be an alcoholic if there's no alcohol around to consume. Right. Right. So in some ways, these tidal waves are us creating an opportunity to use our saviors as well. Well, I think it makes sense. So as you were speaking, I was thinking of, for, so the EP tidal wave would be, we're so focused on gathering, we're so addicted to gathering that we lose sight of control. You know, so in that sort of addictive state of gathering in new information, somehow we lose control. And so that's where like it's been difficult for me to see exactly that play out in my life personally because I always feel like and maybe maybe just western life kind of forces control upon us and so like I cannot I cannot overgather to the point where I completely lose control. Like control has always been pretty stable in my life as a corporate person, corporate professional, right? Where I have seen a personal tidal wave and I, I kind of discussed it a minute ago is the the sleep demon, right? Is I'm so focused on my play consume saviors that I lost track of my sleep processing. I was addicted to play consume, play consume, and I had a problem. So I'm going to go consume more or maybe I'll play more. When do I actually stop and do some sleep processing? And that, that is a very real tidal wave that, that has affected and has like killed people. Like they talk about people who are sleep last, you know, falling off a cliff kind of thing. And those kind of things do happen to people who are sleep last because we don't stop 
and process. We're so, oh, okay, play. You know, it's usually go, 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 go. go. Right. If you've got sleep demon, you've got play as a savior. And so. You're not putting the brakes on. You're never putting the brakes on. I think just as you were saying this, I realized. So I think tidal waves, there's lots of different forms that a tidal wave could take. But a tidal wave is essentially, I guess, if I were to give it a definition, is when we leave a void in some area and it catches up to us, that would be the tidal wave, right? Right. So this like, just as you imagine what a tidal wave looks like, right? So it pulls in all of this water, right? And so like you end up with a almost dry beach and then it just hits you with all this water from up top in a very destructive way. So I think there's lots. So you were just talking about animal tidal waves, right? Those are also really important or observer versus decider tidal waves, right? So the observer game, why it's easy to spot an observer or a decider is because that weight between the two observers is at like 90-10. So for us, we gather probably 90% of the time and then we organize maybe 10% of the time. Right. And because of that imbalance, that shows itself as a tidal wave. And sometimes maybe we overcorrect. Like I'm definitely a control freak <laughs> right? as an EP. But the reason I'm a control freak is because kind of to get back at what I was trying to get at earlier, is that if I'm the one in control, that means that my environment or nobody else is controlling me. And as an EP, that's my number one thing. That's my temperament is like, can't control me. I need to go like, mm -mm, right. don't. Don't control me, bro. Right? Yeah, that's the... Yeah, exactly. So if I'm the one controlling things, then someone's not controlling me, then the situation is not controlling me. Yeah, right. Yeah, those damn, those damn IJs, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Or like I see like I have two roommates who are I have two roommates who are IJs, uh, probably more than that, but two in particular who are just such chaos monkeys. And that's because in creating the chaos, they create a situation for them to use their NI saviors. Yes. Right. And that's a form of a tidal wave because there's and I'm still very much trying to find the nuance in this. There's a way to engage our demons in a healthy way. And there's a way to engage our demons in a demoning, tidal waving way. And I'm still trying to figure out that line and when it's healthy and when it's not. Uh, but the tidal wave is definitely in the unhealthy form. Well, I think it's a level of consciousness. You know, I think when you're unconscious of your demon and thus not really paying attention to it is when it can be uh, more unhealthy. Like I'm still doing this like feels practice and feeling isn't my like worst demon, but it's just the one that I think affects me the most. One of the techniques I'm doing currently is I, I basically have like designated feeling time where I'm in a space that's safe, you know, whether I'm down here on my, on my own or sometimes like in driving in the car or whatever. And I put on the right music and I just like ugly cry and get it all out and rage against the machine. I do what I got to do so that I can get those feelings out. And then that way, when I'm with my spouse or my family or my coworkers, it doesn't just come out unconsciously because it it will come out unconsciously. You know, these things need to happen. And I think that's part of the tidal wave is that life is going to happen. It's just, can you do it in a conscious way as opposed to letting just the tidal wave naturally occur? I also just kind of want to be mindful of the fact that you and I have very much been talking about uh, decider tidal waves. Yes. As, but you and I are both on TEFI axis. So for people who are on the FETI axis, I think it's going to function rather differently. It is. And I'm trying to be mindful and observant of that because a lot of my roommates are in that 
on that axis? Yeah, I think I, I think the two the two people I'm closest to in my life, my my best friend and my husband, I think they're on the TI fe axis and they're on two opposite sides of it and it was funny because actually they got into a fight once where it was essentially fe versus ti and i know for my husband as a ti lead he's very much like these are my reasons you cannot infringe on my reasons do not tell me what i need to be doing like he was really pushing against the tribe and then my fe friend was very much like but the tribe values this why can't you see the value here it was very interesting to see those two literally play out and that's when I started kind of triangulating on their types too was to see the two different saviors on a different axis from myself because I was kind of in the middle as the TEFI person like well but I feel this way so I can project how the tribe might feel this way (laughs) you know can't you and and my husband's like no TI (laughs) I have it's really interesting one of my roommates um I think he's an EJ savior FE demon masculine TI And he's really great at like, he's an aerospace engineer now, but he was a clown when he was younger. Oh, wow. Literally, (laughs) entertainer, right? F-E all the way. And actually, him and I have conflicts because Savior F-E versus Savior F-I often. Yeah. But that masculine T-I and the way that it shows itself in like, ooh, I think this is a good reason to do this. And it just kind of pokes itself through the F-E in a very, this is one thing that I've noticed, in a very like, trollish manner (laughs) because it's like it's about entertaining and making sure everyone here is having a good time and if people are laughing that's great even if this one person feels uncomfortable and I found that yeah interesting yep so you want to talk about peacocking God's kind of totally (laughs) changing (laughs) changing gears but so peacocking I find very very interesting and in my in my response video Dave and Shannon talked about that I kind of peacocked and posed a little bit of ST or maybe SF. And it was because I like I was so proud of the fact that I had bullet point written down the questions ahead of time and thought about them that I showed it in my video. I said, look at my bullet points, right? And I think that's your classic peacocking. Peacocking is also kind of like, look at what I can do from a like, it's it's the kind of thing where you clearly, this is not your savior, and you're so proud of yourself that you built this little SI thing that you just can't help but show everybody. Whereas if it were a savior, you would just be off SI in SI land and never really bring it up. You wouldn't you wouldn't bring up your bullet point of reasons and your bullet point sensory thing because it would just be natural. It would just be normal. It wouldn't seem special. And I think that's where a lot of the peacocking comes from is we did a thing like I did a thing that I'm super proud of because it was hard it was not normal it was not just everyday affair and so I think oh let me show you this because look at how special I am I think and there was at one point a lot of um, misunderstanding and controversy around peacocking and I still kind of have a love-hate relationship with with that idea for a couple of reasons one of which is that so it's not pretending to be something that other than what you are. Right. It's not an intentional or conscious, hey, let me try and deceive you kind of thing. That's not what's happening with peacocking. It is, like you explained it, a here is this thing that was really hard for me to do and let me show it to you. And it's also in the process of, I mean, confirmation bias and just 
the things that we attend to are the things that we probably think we do a lot of, right? Right. And with peacocking, that's what's happening is like, because this thing was hard and I attended to it, I gave it my attention and my mindfulness. So I think that I do it all the time. But really, you only do it like 10% of the time or whatever it may be. (laughs) Right, right. I find that when it's almost like it's a little bit of like trying to show off or and again, I think that's where the idea of peacocking because that's what peacocks literally do. Like they show off their feathers. And I think where I personally do it is more with that sensory. I tend to I really point out how good I am at this sensory thing because and it's because it's that fourth demon. So I'm the least conscious of it. And so when I do it, I'm like super proud of myself. Like, wow, I SI, like, look at this. And and it's, it's a super excitement about actually using that fourth function and being decent at it. And I think that's, that's the other really key component of, of peacocking, I think, is that because it was something that was hard. And whenever you're faced with a challenge, and then you manage to to accomplish it, that's going to give you this like natural high. You're going to be proud of it. You're going to have all of these, you know, endorphins running through your body because, hey, I did this thing that was a big challenge for me. And because you have all of these positive emotions happening as a result of that experience, you're going to think it's your savior. Right. And that's also the other part of peacocking is very often that because we get this, like when I get an NI connection that makes all of my sensory come together beautifully, (laughs) like I get this amazing high from it because it is a challenge. It doesn't happen every day. And so like it's not surprising that I thought I was NT. Like, so it's not like I was trying to actively deceive myself. It's that just there was this natural reinforcement of that behavior from accomplishing a challenge. And we misinterpret that as our saviors. Right, right. I think that is a lot of the, you know, people typing themselves upside down because they really see, like you just said, they get that big rush of their demon, but they, they think wow, I did this thing. I'm, I'm good at it. It worked. You know, I must be that that thing. And so I think a lot of that comes from that. Like I, I, I know for me, I really thought I was savior control because I was so focused on control. And I was so proud of the areas that I had managed to control within my life. And I, and back to kind of saviors and demons, your savior, sometimes you're unconscious of it because it's so natural. Most of the time. Right. You don't even know you're even doing it. And so that's part of the reason why Dave and Shannon came up with the objective typing system in the first place is because an outsider can totally see you doing it, but you can't. And so a lot of personality typing, you know, systems rely on self-reporting. So they rely on me to say what I think I am and what I think I'm doing. (laughs) But if I, if I can't see myself clearly, then that it's going to it's going to be skewed and I'm going to type myself upside down or wrong or you know whatever. Yeah. There's this in cognitive psychology there's this concept called automaticity which is kind of like like you know when you when you're driving home from work and you've driven that route so many times and you get home and you don't remember how you got there. Right. It's when you're on such autopilot that you're not explicitly like obviously you're paying attention otherwise you wouldn't get home but you're not attending to that particular experience or that behavior and so I think with our saviors probably especially with our lead savior we don't even notice that we're doing it because it is so automatic we're on such autopilot for it that it's just below our awareness at least 
my experience was definitely that I the one the one function I was sure I don't have on my stack was SE. <laughs> so when they came back with lead SE, I'm like, oh, shit. And then as I was like talking to someone about it, I was just blasting them with so much sensory information. I'm like, oh, God damn it. They're right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we all had something of that experience because I, I thought the same way. I thought, well, in my case, I thought it was just intuition in general. I was like, I don't I don't have it. But then they pointed out how I'm always puzzling stuff out. They were like, you're doing it in the emails and you're doing it at work and you're doing it here. I was like, oh, they're right. I am NT all the time. <laughs> I had no, I just, like you like you said, it's on autopilot. You don't even know you're doing it. And so when I, as an NT person, when I did some SF, I was so proud. And so that's where the peacocking comes in again. It's like, oh, look, I valued the sensory guys. I totally valued it. And there was one thing about peacocking that I wanted to mention that this is where the hate part of the term comes in, in terms of love and hate. I think peacocking, I throw that around very carefully and very intentionally because I think it can be very invalidating of a of an experience because I think anytime you're working on your demons, that's something that I personally want to encourage and support. And I want people to, you know, go on, keep doing it. And I don't want to invalidate or somehow discourage somebody from trying that so in that regard I think peacocking I'm just more careful with it but then at the same time there's definitely times when you meet someone they're like so sf and they're trying to nt and they're just failing at nting and that's kind of I guess peacocking saying as someone who is sf and fails at (laughs) nt quite often and very literally recently sent an email saying hey I'm just going to export this nt to you can you just give me the stuff yeah I think I think it, it can be a useful tool for typing, but it's not, like you said, you you want to be careful saying that. Like, you don't want to tell somebody, if they're not ready to hear it, you're peacocking that thing, you know, because the, yeah. if they're not ready for that. So, you know, when Dave said it to me, I was totally ready to hear it. I, you know, I had paid money for them to give me this feedback. So it was fine. Like, I didn't bother me at all. In fact, I, I thought that was pretty funny. But you do have to be careful because you have to kind of know your audience and understand where the person's at before you just say oh you're peacocking that you know and I think a lot of times people also use it as a as a shorthand or excuse to not really dig deeper like they just say oh well that's peacocking I'm not really gonna consider it you know and it's like well there's more going on there so let's not be as dismissive so I want to um move us along to a couple other definitions and these are I think they don't require much discussion just want to make sure that people understand what they are because we've mentioned them. I think we might have defined them already, but just in case. So the first one is jumpers. As a jumper, you want to take that one? So jumpers. So the idea of jumpers really kind of comes out of people who come from a Myers-Briggs background because OP, the OP types could be seen as subtypes of the 16 Myers-Briggs types. And so when you have, for example, a Myers-Briggs ENFP, like like my, so my type would be considered an ENFP in Myers-Briggs, their, their function stack, an ENFP is going to have an extroverted observer, introverted decider, extroverted decider, introverted observer. ENFP is N-E-F-I-T-E-S-I. And so a jumper is someone whose saviors are that first function, so the NE, and then they jump to that third function, TE. So I am an ENFP jumper in that my saviors are NE and TE, 
which in Myers-Briggs land does not exist. You cannot have an ENFP who has a like, two extroverted or two introverted saviors. That's not that's not something that exists in Myers-Briggs land. And I think this was one of the first things that Dave and Shannon found, that there weren't just 16 types, that there were actually 32. And for me personally, that was a big aha. And, a, and it opened up a whole lot of possibilities because I never fit in any of the 16 types. I always struggled. I was like, I, none of these fit me. And so when I came back as a jumper, it was like, okay, well, that makes sense because technically I don't. I don't fit, so I'm not going to fit the ENFP profile necessarily because that FI, which is usually the ENFP savior, they're NEFI, that's a lot of the the ENFP stereotypes come from a strong FI and a strong NE working together, whereas with me, I've got NE and TE working together, and the FI is devalued as a demon, so... That's the idea of a jumper is you're jumping your second phone. I thought that was a great explanation. Thank you. I kind of want to just add to that, that uh, to track it against some other knowns, uh, especially for anybody who might be coming from MBTI land. People who are jumpers are going to be sleep or play. They're going to be their savior animal. Their lead animal is going to be an energy animal. And then if you look at consume and blast, those kind of map onto the consumes would be the traditional P's, EP's and IP's, um, MBTI's. And then the blast would be the traditional J's, the EJ's and the IJ's in MBTI land. So that's kind of, I think for, for me has been really interesting, especially to see. Yeah, that's a really good point. I forgot about the animals, but yeah, yep. Uh, and so, yeah, the, so the concept of the jumpers, I think was, a that was a big, that was a, a big leap for them to do. And I, the one thing I have been wondering about, and so this is currently in my NT puzzle box as unsolved is if, so my second function FI, uh, you know, typically, so if you, if you follow somebody like personality hacker or something like that, like a traditional Myers-Briggs site. The second function is called the co-pilot, and it is considered to be very mature, very conscious, right? You're, you're, you have your primary function, and then you have your auxiliary or co-pilot function, and they're both pretty strong, and they're both kind of adult. And then the third function is the 10-year-old, and the fourth function is the 3-year-old, so they get less mature as you go down the stack and less conscious. I've been wondering about that for a jumper because I have a second function. I'm skipping it. I'm disrespecting it because I've kind of, it's a demon to me, but is it still pretty conscious? I think it is. And so I've been noodling on what that means, you know, in terms of saviors and demons. Like if you have a second function demon, what does that mean in terms of its level of conscious use? So I'm still kind of thinking about that. So I'm not familiar with personality hacker, but it almost sounds like a different language, but same idea of what Dave and Shannon, so Dave and Shannon described your, your first function, your lead function as 90%, uh, like in terms of use, your first and fourth function are split like 90-10. So for us, our observers, our gathering is 90% of the time we spend gathering and then 10% of the time organizing. And then your middle two are better balanced. They're like 60-40, right? So it kind of sounds like they're using a similar concept, but attributing it to like age or level of consciousness. Then your TE would get the 60%. And so you're still FIing at 40%, which is why you're a double decider, because you're able to switch between those two a lot more easily than someone who has, you know, the 90-10 split on their deciders. I've always felt like myself is pretty darn strong. 
it's just I at the end of the day I, I defer to the tribe you know historically because that's my savior but I've always been very well aware of like what I want what I don't want but but again that's why I'm a double decider and I'm not an EJ yeah and I I, I guess on the other side of it I also feel like I'm able to figure out what works for the tribe fairly well and I definitely compared to other savior DIs that I know in my life am better able to balance that okay this is what the tribe needs right now versus this is what I want right now and kind of back and forth and some of my tidal waves is when I just ignore the TE and choose to double down on my FI that's when I get bit in the ass and that happens you know inevitably that's going to happen but I think those are more balanced than they would be in somebody who's an IP or an EJ. Okay, you want to talk about double activated then? Yeah, so I do believe we talked about these, but I want to just throw it out there just in case. So double activated, so as your animals, your animals are two functions who are wired up together into an action, right? That's what an animal is. So your first three animals will ping different functions. So I'm going to use my own as an example just because I know it well. So my savior consume pings my SE and my FI, and then I have sleep which pings my fi and ni so my fi has been pinged twice and then i have blast which pings my ni and te so i have ni and fi which are both double activated they are both pinged twice and then my te and se are pinged only once so when we talk about double activated function that is talking about how many times your first three animals which functions they hit so i think for you your double activated functions are ne and te right yeah Yeah. and so i have doubled down on my extroverted world yeah um another way of like going through this if you want to do it like the shortcut way is uh take your last animal and take it out so my last animal is play so my se and te are single activated which means that my fi and ni have to be double activated (laughs) that's a good point i never thought about it that way Um, that's a good one it was actually something you said that made me realize it i think at one of our previous recordings and then sometimes they talk about glass lizards is when somebody has their last function which should be, you know, if we're talking about 90%, 10% of the time, your last function you should be spending probably like should be. Typical person is spending maybe 10% of their time on. If their last function is double activated, it kind of gets like pulled up into maybe more of a 70-30 split. And so those people are called glass lizards because I, we did talk about this. Because if you Google a glass lizard, it looks like a snake. But if you get down into the mechanics of it, it's still a glass. Li- it's still a lizard not a snake. Right, right, right. But yeah, and that this whole concept of you, you know, double activating your demon function and this and then sort of pulling it up. I think that's why this is very confusing for people with that Myers-Briggs background, because it's like, wait, how can that and kind of back to my question earlier of like, how can that be your fourth function? And yet, you're very conscious of it and you're and you're using it because of your animals like how does that even work i think that is where it gets confusing and it it is a confusing concept it definitely is but it really flows out of the animals and the savior demon concepts so because i think aren't you a glass wizard yeah i am i pu- i pull up my ni and my NI is double activated while my SE, even though it's a savior, is only single activated. Right. And SE is your top savior. Yeah. So I'm constantly taking in facts, constantly taking in the sensory. But then I go in and I start 
looking for the patterns, start organizing, start planning. And then the the last thing that's kind of related to this is like we mentioned this, uh, the blinking dashboard. And that's where, okay, using my type as an example again. So I have my two demons, but one of my demons is double activated. So even though my TE is in better balance with my FI because I have that double deciding going on, because my TE is a single activated demon, a lot of the attention in my life of things that I can't quite get will be on the TE. And for me, I think it's especially on tribal validation. That's the thing that I'm constantly trying to get and really suck at doing. And then mine would be the SI. I have that. That's my single activated demon. And and this is where I was saying, like, I've sometimes struggled with the with the EP tidal waves, you know, because it, it should on paper, the dashboard of my life. So the, the blinking idiot light should be coming in on the SI. Now, I do have SI problems. I mean, I definitely do. But I just I've never felt like it was this like massive, um, you know, problem for me. It, it hasn't been the blinking dashboard light. Now, it could just be that I'm so unconscious of it that I don't see it. It could be that. But th- I mean, things have things have bitten me because I haven't paid attention to the sensory. So it, it does happen. But it it's one of those that hasn't been as bad as one might expect, I guess. I also think and this is something you and I have kind of talked about previously, um, because of the way that our lives have kind of played out and some of the things that we saw in our family growing up and we were looking at it it's like I don't want to be that I don't want to have that problem we were seeing the tidal waves of our loved ones and because of that I think we very intentionally tried to mitigate that so that we would not experience those same tidal waves yeah that's an excellent point that's an excellent point because I do think that a lot of a lot of my ability to kind of buckle down and control the sensory came because I had older siblings that like my my older brother is you know, definitely an EP of some stripe, you know, he's definitely a chaos monkey. And even a couple weekends ago, when I was spending time with him, I I was like, wow, he really does just go off and do just random things. And so I've had to, I had to control, I had to be the responsible controlling younger sibling to kind of keep, keep things together, you know? So yeah, that's a good point. It's a nature versus nurture thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then the last thing that I wanted to talk about today is kind of a big topic, but this is just, we'll just touch on it for today and we'll probably do an episode dedicated just to this later, is this concept of alpha. So before we kind of get into alphaness, and I actually think you might have introduced this in another episode before, that the term itself can be maybe a little off-putting for some people, but I don't think that's how Dave and Shannon mean it to be. So whatever preconceptions you might have about alpha-ness, I guess I ask that you kind of set those aside and try to approach this idea of alpha-ness with uh, fresh eyes. Uh, Yeah, how would you define an alpha? Yeah, so the alpha, I, I... What I think Dave and Shannon are trying to get at is an alpha person is someone who is balanced in their four functions and has learned to, I'll say, take responsibility for their demons. So we all kind of naturally have our saviors and our demons. And as we talked about at the beginning, our saviors are things that we tend to feel responsible for. They tend to be things we feel comfortable and confident with. And our demons are the things that we kind of have not taken responsibility for or exported that to someone else. And so an alpha is somebody who has recognized their demons and is now 
taking responsibility for their for their demon and balancing their four functions. So, I mean, I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit, but I mean, you've already heard me talking about, I'm really trying to work on my FI. I'm trying to give it space. That's an alpha move, right? It's looking at my demon and actually trying to take responsibility for it instead of letting it come out unconsciously in those demon swings. Um, so to me, that's what an alpha is. In my understanding of alpha thus far, which I'm sure will change and grow, I, I guess there's there's two things going on here. On the one hand, you have a person who is an alpha as a noun, and then you have an alpha state, right? So Dave and Shannon define an alpha state as when you are engaging in your last animal right? Because that means you've hit all your other animals. And in the process of hitting all your other animals, you've also hit all of your other functions, right? And by engaging your last animal, you are in this alpha state where you're using all of your functions. And that's a wonderful and beautiful thing. Right, exactly. Yep. Yeah, I love that distinction between an alpha state and an alpha. That's a that's a really good point. Because I think it's it's similar in so in buddhism there's like this idea of you know enlightenment and then in in buddhism there's this concept of somebody who is a buddha in that they have reached enlightenment and they're just in that state all the time but there's also these ideas of like these little flashes of like satori where it's like you have a moment where you are aware and you're conscious but it's not all the time kind of thing and so the alpha I like that idea of you could be in an alpha state, you could be operating on all cylinders, but then you're not that way all the time. And this was um, actually, so something I talked to Dave and Shannon about today is that somebody who is an alpha rather than in an alpha state is somebody who takes responsibility for all of their demons all the time, like you said, but has also, and this is something Dave and Shannon talk about a lot and not really something I have owned the material on yet, but... Uh, someone who has gone through the hero's journey and has their ego has died and they there is no blame like they they don't blame anyone outside the self and again this is something that i right now i'm essentially just parroting their words because i do not have a deep understanding of this at all i don't understand what that looks like i don't understand what that experience might be like or how to recognize it like I'm still very much like an infant in my understanding of this. Yeah, I, you know, I'm familiar with the concept and I'm familiar with it on sort of a narrative perspective. If you look at, you know, the Matrix movies are the famous one that, you know, Neo kind of goes through that hero's journey and everything like that. And I think it, it show it's going to show up in everybody's life a little bit different. And I think part of what Dave and Shannon are also getting at is that the hero's journey is going to be different for the different types as well, because they've, they've talked about that, like the, the journey of the EP, let's say is the, they've gone through gather, they've gone through some, you know, major life change and they've discovered the value of control and they've kind of brought it back. Right. It's this, it's this journey of the, of the type of the, where you've gone through a challenge You've mastered it and then you've learned something and you're bringing that back around. So an EJ who's gone through that whole process and now has discovered the value of the self, it's a very different approach than an IP who always knew the value of the self, let's say. And they have to go through a different hero's journey. So I think that's what they're getting at is that we all have to, it's it's going to be different for everybody, but it's it it's that death of the ego, like you say. It's it's that recognition that, that the way that you 
thought the world were like like you've now got to take greater responsibility for things that that previously you didn't think you were responsible for that kind of thing it is difficult concept though i'll say that and i i have a somewhat understanding of it but i'm still myself kind of it's gonna look different so i it's like i almost know it when i see it i can hear it in a person but i couldn't tell you exactly what that is and there's also this like i think there is like and I think this is a good again distinction between alpha versus alpha state is like there are times and I know this about myself like I understand and intellectually want to take responsibility for an I or TE right then in the day-to-day life it's there are times when I do take responsibility for it probably when like with all of us when it's easy to do but the second that there's some complexity in it or contradiction that I have to work through it's a lot easier to export it to someone else and somebody who has gone through the hero's journey that has had that death of the ego don't play the blame game anymore they don't export their demons anymore is I guess what I would look for but I'm not even sure and to kind of bring it back to our episode from last week we talked a lot about Michelle being alpha without really introducing what that concept is and I think that that's a great example so one of the things that Dave and Shannon often talk about is that the way to get better at your demons is by setting external goals for yourself because when you have an external goal you do whatever is necessary to achieve that goal and that means engaging your functions and your demon animals that you might not otherwise right and so for someone like Michelle or someone like Obama to get to where they are there has been a journey of external goal setting and moving towards those goals so there is this like incredible command of their demons regardless of what those demons are and that makes it much harder especially for complete amateurs like you and I to type right. them and to see what is right. a savior and what is a demon right because they're they are taking responsibility you're right I heard that from Michelle a lot yes absolutely and that that is what makes it hard because she she is like you said it's a difference between her being in a state versus no that's just who she is now she has taken that responsibility and that is who she is and that's how she shows up no matter what's going on and that is also what she teaches and what she blasts it's, it comes from that do you have anything else you want to add I don't know this was a good discussion it was i'm glad we revisited these and for you dear listener if there are things that we've mentioned that you're like what does that mean please let us know um you can do so on the objectively typed subreddit we'll include a link in the show notes and also on the objectively typed subreddit we'll talk about our upcoming episodes who we're going to type if you want to type along with us or any conversations or discussions you want to have so thank you for listening to objectively typed Again, I'm Versavia. And I'm Evelyn. And until next time. Thanks.